0: And uh, we're starting a new series in terms, um, under the heading of the primacy of the Word of the Lord, but it's a sub-theme that we're going to call the prosperity of the soul. What we still want to emphasize is the importance of the Word of God, and you're going to see um, through the series, uh, we'll deal with it over a few weeks, how that the Word of the Lord, um, it's, it's hearing, it's the, your love for it, your meditation upon it, and your obedience thereto. Is so critically essential for the purification and total renewal of the domain of your of your soul. But before we get there, just one thought I want to leave with you from the last session. Um, Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 says the following, and I've included it as an addendum on session 20. That was emailed to you sometime this morning, so you have it in the note. Just have a look at it. But it says, God says, I will pour out upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, upon the house of David, the spirit of grace and of supplication. Right? The spirit of grace and of supplication. Now, the New American Standard Bible says, Spirit of Grace, as in capital S, um, inferring a reference to the Holy Spirit. So God says, I will pour out the spirit of grace and supplication upon the house of David. All other versions of the Bible use small case S. In fact, if you're using a New American Standard, there's a marginal rendering there, um, and it says, or spirit, human spirit. Right? So God says, I will pour out upon the house of David the spirit of grace. Right? Now, again, I want to stress there's no contradiction between whether this is the Holy Spirit or human spirit, because we accept 1 Corinthians 6, he who is joined to the Lord is, is one spirit with the Lord. Okay, is one spirit with the Lord. So when he, the Holy Spirit, resides in my spirit, we're indivisibly, indivisibly one. So rereading that scripture, I will pour upon the house of David, the spirit of grace. When he, the Holy Spirit, is poured upon you, your spirit becomes characterized by whatever his spirit is characterized and known by. So his nature is imbued or stressed upon your spirit. Whatever is in his spirit becomes the nature of your spirit. So the, the, the verse says, I will pour, pour out upon the house of David the spirit of what? Two things, grace and, and supplication. Okay, grace and supplication. We've taught that the spirit of man is the, res- is the destination of grace. Uh, your spirit is the place of the reception of grace. Three times in the New Testament we read, Grace be with your spirit. Grace be with your spirit. Grace be with your spirit. The spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will come into your spirit. Then you too, your spirit can also be known as a spirit of grace. Grace, when your spirit is imbued, saturated with grace. How does grace come? Grace comes primarily through the, the Word of God. He brings the Word, and in that Word, the Word of grace, marinates, pickles, saturates your spirit. So you can say of yourself, I have a spirit of grace. Okay? i tell your neighbor that, I have a spirit of grace. I have a spirit of grace, right? So grace characterizes my Spirit, but if grace is present, one of the outworkings of grace would be supplication. I will pour out upon the house of David spirit of grace and supplication. Uh, now, I'm saying this to all of us because, yes, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, but if it's human spirit, a spirit of grace, it denotes a certain posture of heart in your spirit, a character of your spirit, a certain disposition. That you must carry in your spirit. So if you say, My spirit is full of grace, an outworking of that must be you have to be a person of supplication. Right? Supplication is basically earnest, fervent prayer. Right? Earnest, fervent prayer. Please listen to Sean Bruchnot's teaching last week at Santon. Gate Santon, he preached there and he ministered on this verse of scripture. I'm going to pour out upon the house of David the spirit of grace and supplication. You know why it's critically important? And I realize the wisdom of God in leading this congregation to have studied all that we have studied in the past few months. You know why God is preparing us to install the last pillar of apostolic communities, which is prayer. Right? I'm glad God didn't start teaching us prayer before we learned all this. Because prayer has got to, Thamu always said this, prayer has got to take place beyond the veil, where there's no flesh. It's only spirit. It's all spirit. And so if you cannot pray effectively, if your spirit is not imbued, pregnant, saturated with grace. right? Saturated with grace. You can't play in soulishly. You can't even pray as a matter of bodily functions or your flesh, a factor of your flesh. Prayer is not ritualistic, it's not coercive, there's no uh, humanistic labor to it. It's a disposition and a posture of grace content within your, within your spirit. Amen? So, the spirit of grace and supplication. And then also, um, just quickly, First Corinthians 15 says, don't turn to it, First 1 Corinthians 15.45. I sent this as a word thought in the week. Um, Paul said this, the first man Adam became a living soul, the last Adam, the second man, Christ, became a life giving spirit. Your spirit has got grace in. Wherever you have grace, you have life. First Peter three seven says, Husbands live considerately with your wives as a weaker vessel. Right? And show her honor. Why? Because she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Uh, This phrase is only found once in the whole Bible. Grace of life. Grace of life. It's used in the context of marriage. It says, husbands, you better live with consideration and with understanding towards your wife. Give her honor because she's a weaker vessel. Why? Because she, together with you, is a fellow partaker of the grace of life. You can't partake of this grace on your own if you're married. You have to do it jointly. There's a grace dimension that I can access personally, that Renee can access individually, separate from me. But there's a quality of grace that we can only access together if we are married. So it says, I must show her consideration, um, live with her in understanding her, her makeup, what makes a tick, or what makes her untick, right? I right? I must understand her as a weaker vessel in some respects, physically, for example. I must give her honor, show her honor and respect. Why? Because she, together with me, we are fellow partakers of the grace. Grace of life. Okay, I'm not going to teach on marriage now. That's what I just said that to throw that in. What I want to focus on is that grace there in that verse is described as the grace of... Life. So if your spirit has grace, your spirit has life. What life? The life of God. The Zoe life of God. Okay? The Zoe life of God can be accessed. So, the first Adam became a living soul. Does it say that? Yes, a living soul. This, the last Adam Remember, Adam was the first man. Jesus was the second man. Adam was the first Adam. Jesus biblically is the last Adam. You get first Adam, last Adam. First man, second man. Christ is the second man, the last Adam. First man was a living soul. He operated basically from the domain of his soul after the sin. Remember the eyes of his the, the eyes, eyes of his soul became open, right? And say so operated from the domain of the earth. Please remember this. In your body, you have a spirit and a soul. Your spirit is that component which is native to the heavens. Your soul is that component which is native to the earth. Via because you're living on a planet through your five senses, okay, your sight, your smell your taste, your hearing, your touch. Through your five senses, living upon the planet earth, via your soul, you can engage the world intelligibly, rationally. You cannot live on this planet with a comatose soul, with a a soul in a vegetable-like state. Your soul was never ever meant to be dormant and just there like a zombie-like state. Zombies. Your soul was meant to be actively engaged in your human body. But it was only meant to be actively engaged through your five senses living on the planet. So long as it was submitted to the leading of your spirit, which was in touch or is capable of receiving resource, information, Instruction, power, grace, word from the heavens. When this disconnect happens, the soul attempts to usurp the place of the spirit in man, and so the soul rebels. Right? And that's what I'll show you later. Verses of Scripture says, Return to your rest, O my soul. You've departed from your rest. So return to your rest. Your place, your your proper placement for man, function. So in Adamson, the Bible says, he became or he devolved from that place, he devolved from being a spirit-driven man to being a soul-driven man, right? Remember that song, I'm a soul man. Did it, did it, did it, did it, right? That was Adam's song, right? You must change, you must sing that song. You must sing, I'm a spirit man, right? Change the lyrics, right? We're not soul men, we're spirit men. Souls subservient to the leading of God in our spirit. First man became a living soul. Last Adam, second man, Christ. The Bible says it's amazing. In this one verse, Paul is comparing Adam after the sin, and now Christ, who came as a man. To show men how men should live on the earth. And the description given to him is not living soul, but life-giving spirit. Hmm? Please, you know, I, I, uh, at the back of your notes, I, I emailed this, not this note, the one I emailed today. I updated all of the spirit checklist that we did on Sunday. Right? What should characterize your spirit? And when I did it, I prayed. I used it as a prayer pointer. I began to I uh, thank you, Lord. My spirit is word-saturated. My spirit is word-marinated. My spirit is full of grace. I have a spirit full of light. My spirit is enlightened. My spirit is peaceful, full with God's peace. My spirit is sanctified, clean, pure, holy, purified. My spirit is complete, perfectly sound, completely whole. My spirit is complete, retaining nothing, that was originally allotted to it to function for its wholeness. My spirit is blameless, faultless, without defilement. My spirit is renewed, repaired, rebuilt, steadfast. I have a fixed spirit, an established spirit. My spirit is self-controlled, well-disciplined. I have a fervent, zealous, with enthusiasm spirit. My spirit is actually compelled by the Holy Spirit. My spirit is refreshed. I'm reading the list here. My spirit is refreshed. It makes decisions in its mind and informs the soul. My spirit is so pressed with the word, it actually impresses the word upon my soul. My spirit is filled with understanding of God's will and ways. My spirit is without fear. My spirit knows no timidity. My spirit is filled with love, filled with power, and filled with the sound mind. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound, and a sound mind. My spirit is a way of things. I have knowledge above the natural sphere. My spirit is as an ability to be present, even in a place far removed from where my body is physically present. My spirit is always repentful when I'm in error or in sin. My spirit is able to endure any external negative condition. My spirit is humble, always dependent upon God. My spirit is provoked when God's purposes are not performed regionally. My spirit groans and becomes troubled at the thought of things out of alignment with God's will and God's uh, word. My spirit apprises relationships above the pursuit of ministry advancement. My spirit blesses. My spirit is characterized by grace and supplicative prayer. My spirit is prayerful all the time. My spirit has the capacity, capacity to pray God's perfect will in the spirit. My spirit is the origin from which all my worship emanates, for I worship God in spirit and in truth. My spirit sings. My spirit rejoices in God. My spirit determines my speech and all my words. My spirit is a spirit that is able to give life. Right? I want to encourage you, take the list. Conscientize your mind. This mustn't become a ritual, ritual. Conscientize your mind that this is the quality of spirit people that we are raising up in this local household. I want, to, I want to challenge you, if, if, if an apostle or prophet walks in here, those two graces among the five have the capacity to suss where our house is at. Right? Apostles, they appraise our house very quickly, even just on first coming. You'll see this with Thamo you'll see this with Sean and, and other apostles and prophets. They'll walk into a church and they'll be able to locate the church in the spirit, exactly where they are. My desire for this house is when those grace gifts walk into this <coughs> house, they must sense in their hearts, here is life-giving spirits in this place. Hmm? This is Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion, right? To the place of, uh, of just men made perfect. To the spirits of just men made perfect. I must add that one in. This comes to my mind now. Tell your neighbor, we are Mount Zion. That verse in Hebrew says, you have come to Mount Zion already. Not we are coming, you have come. We have come to Mount Zion to the spirits of just men made perfect. Amen. Tell your neighbor, my spirit is just. My spirit is perfect. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are, give life. Give life. And the only way, listen carefully, if your spirit is full of, let me put it here, you got grace, peace, I want to put it big here, life. The last Adam, the second man, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. John 5 says, and the Son gives life to whomever he will. I'm telling you, this is dangerous doctrine. Now I can add another I am. I, Randolph Barnwell, can give life to whomever I will. Because as He is, so am I in this world. It's not about me, it's about Him in me. But I'm telling you, unless we affirm our inheritance, we can be like as He was, so we can be. So, Joash, when you go to DHS, your school environment, you don't walk as a normal pupil, a learner in the school. You walk with a conscious mind saying, you know what? There might not be many sons of God in the school. A lot of boys everywhere. Don't know where they are in the spirit. But me, I'm walking with the spirit of God in my spirit grace, light, word, peace, completeness, wholeness, all of these factors in my spirit. And if ever I confront death or any representation of of something that is not in alignment with God's will and, 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 and way, I can assert the life of God in my context. And I can give life. That is why if you come into a meeting, the stench of death must go. I'm not just talking about a physical death. Um, life productivity must... If uh, teachers, there's, there's some teachers here, um, that teach at high school, if I walk into your classroom. I must sense what? There's a spirit of life here. Right? You must affect your world with life. But let me ask you this How can you, in your spirit content, issue forth the life that's already pulsating within your spirit? The only way is by words. The, I'm going to say it again. The only way is by words. Because life and death. Or in the power of the tongue, hmm? the only way the life in your spirit issues forth to your world is by your speech. Okay, is by your speech. I'm playing hot, I don't know whether it's the Holy Spirit or <laughs> it is about these lights. I think. Okay, let's put the one this echo Can you see it? I'm going to say it again, very important that you get this. The only way that the the life, Zoe life of God within your spirit is going to be released to men is by the content of what you say. So purge your mouth, purge your speaking. In fact, Colossians says, let your speech be always be savored with salt. Let your speech be with grace, as it were, savored with Salt. whenever you speak, grace and life flow through your words. Right? Grace and life flow through your words. So you can, and please be conscious of this. You, you don't have to be, a talent. you can be interviewing somebody. That person must come away, you're not talking spiritual things. You're interviewing someone for a secular job. That person must come away and say, sure, it was a normal interview, but I felt life. I felt some energy, right? I felt something divine, right? You, you can be at your work, Shane. You can be in any conversation, not even talking spiritual things. But the principle of life and grace must always flow forth. Word on your tongue must be filled with grace and life. So tell your neighbor, you are a life-giving spirit. You know why? The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Coming to tonight's study, the only way, the only way you can speak death is if in this area of your soul, death possibly resides. Because the soul must agree with the Spirit, or the soul must submit to the Spirit, everything received here in the Spirit must filter out to the soul, be reflected in the body And so emanate from the person. That's how it works. Right? Ezekiel 18 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. So wherever you have sin, you have death in the soul. The soul that sins, it shall, it shall die. But we read Isaiah, I think it's, uh, let me just get my notes ready here. This out of the way. Lots of pages here tonight. On, on page one, your soul must live, must hear the word of the Lord and live. It's in one, two, three, fourth paragraph. The soul is being restored from a position of death because of sin to position where the divine life of God totally saturates it. Listen carefully. The soul is being restored from a position of death to a place where the life of God totally saturates the soul. Right? That is what we are after. The Zoe life of God must totally saturate your soul. Right? And then uh, I've written here, the principle of divine life is vested within the word of God. Thus we are instructed to incline our ears to the word that our soul might live. Remember Isaiah? Isaiah 53 or 55 verse 3. It says, Hear that your soul might do what? Live. If you don't hear, the soul dies. But so long as you're hearing word, hear a soul that your soul might live. So this life, Must cause the soul to be enlivened, if you would, must be made alive unto God. Okay? And we've said repeatedly, how does this happen? The soul hears, and when the soul says yes to the leading of the word of the Lord in your spirit, as the soul obeys, as you obey, the soul is purified through their obedience. First Peter one twenty two. The soul is purified through acts of obedience. Every act of obedience enlivens or gives life to the soul. Okay, You bring your soul in conformity to that which is taking place in your spirit through every single act of obedience. So your soul must live. Not only must you be a life-giving spirit, that life-giving spirit characteristic in your spirit Must translate to life in your soul, divine life in your soul. Now, listen carefully. What is before we get there, turn over the page before I run ahead of myself quickly. I want to just demonstrate or or quote several verses of scripture. If we're going to get to that place, what do we need um, in our souls? What do we need what does the soul need to saturate it? The soul, like the spirit, also needs the Word of God. Not so? The Word of God. Remember, the Word of God is life. The words are life to those that find them. Right? In the beginning was the Word. Let's just read it quickly. Right? Hebrews 4 verse 12 first. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, And is able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Think about it like this. It says, the word of the Lord is several things. There's a nice study for some of you to develop. Look at what the word of the Lord is in one verse. I think there's five descriptions. Living, active, sharp, piercing, judging. Five things the word of the Lord does in one verse. Right? It says the word of the Lord is living. It's active. It's sharp. It's piercing, even as far as dividing or the division of soul and spirit, and it judges the intents of the man's thoughts and his heart. I like this phrase, that the word of the Lord is able to pierce and divide soul and spirit. Right? And I really believe this. Whatever the spirit of man is imbued with, in terms of grace via the word of the Lord, that uh, word... Is able in your mind to separate what you're thinking of in your soul and what the mind of your spirit is contemplating. So, when the mind of your spirit says, "Yes, tithing is of the Lord," I get that word. I should tithe, right? I should tithe, right? And maybe in the mind of your soul, you're saying the mind of your soul is saying, "But tithing is an old covenant practice, not for the new covenant." I believe the Word of God is able to separate. When it comes in, it can separate viewpoints of the spirit versus viewpoints of the soul. But the intent, ultimately, of the Word of the Lord is whatever the spirit accepts as true must be impressed, like we said. I keep saying this word, impressed. Right? Everyone say, impress. Please get into your spirit. I even headed the first page there. The Word of the Lord impressed within the soul, restores the soul. Word must be impressed. Remember Paul was pressed in spirit because of his devotion to the Word. Pressed in spirit, whatever you are pressed with in your spirit by the Word must be impressed onto the soul. Right? Impressed, stamped, marked onto the soul. So the Word of the Lord comes and it divides spirit and soul. It's able to let you know what um, is going on in each component. To afford you, listen carefully, to afford you the opportunity to make a decision as to whether you will submit your soul to your spirit or not. Your your soul is not robotic. Okay, It has a mind, will, and emotions. It can employ its volition, its sense of choice. Your soul must obey the dictates of the spirit. You can bring your soul into that submission. Have you ever wondered why in this scripture there's so many references to David talking to his soul or to men commanding their soul? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Okay, you can take charge over this domain. Tell you they take charge over your soul. If you don't take charge via a word saturated spirit, the devil will not run a havoc here. Right? You take you say to your soul, why are you cast down? Mary said, My soul magnify the Lord. Right? You've got to assert yourself um, in the Lord. Okay? Next verse. Psalm 19, verse 7a from the New American Standard. The law of the Lord is perfect. I love this. Restoring the soul. If your soul is going to be restored, it needs the word of the Lord. Not so. The word of the Lord restores the soul. Same verse in the King James Version. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. If this is going to change... Conversion and restoration. It's only going to come by one means, and that is the word of the Lord. The law of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Dust, yeah, is a reference to carnality. Remember, the serpent crawls upon the dust and he eats the dust all the days of his life. That was the judgment passed upon him. David saying, or whoever is the psalmist of 119 says, My soul weeps, sorry, verse 25, my soul cleaves to the dust. Do you know your soul cleaves to carnality if you will let it? I'm telling you, given your soul its own choice, it's going to go the carnal way. It will naturally tend towards that because of the sin nature and environment in which we live you got to say, no, soul, don't cleave to the dust. Don't fall naturally and be prone to carnal uh, uh, practices or thoughts or attitudes. But what is the answer? How can, because when you do that, you sin and you die. But what has the capacity to revive, it says. Right? Revive me according to what? According to your word. What does revive mean? Make alive again. Cause life and living to come back to my soul. Let me just say this to you. There are some people in the world today so obsessed with carnal indulgences, they are living with dead souls, as it were. The soul is still operative, but dead to God, dead spiritually. Hmm? Because the soul cleaves to the dust. To break that proneness, you have to have The standard of the word of the Lord infused the soul. Mm -hmm. In the book of Judges, it says, in in those days, there was no king. And every man did what was right in his, in the eyes of his soul. They decided what was right and wrong. Why? It says there there was no king, no fatherly figure in the nation. So long as you have no authority, a king who dispenses, a father would dispense his word, you decide what's right and wrong. Do you know, I really believe, what Dr. Segui said a few uh, years ago, he says, all Christians need a standard, an external standard outside of themselves. You need a father. Left to your own devices, you're going to go astray. I'm, unapologi- I'm unafraid to say this, you need a father. Left to yourself, you're going to go astray. You need word coming to you. Because that word always cautions you, always shapes you, keeps you in, keeps you in check. Left to yourself, your soul will naturally gravitate towards the dust. But you need word to revive you, enliven you. Amen? That's why people that stay away from the word of life are living in soul death. Right? And they need a revival. Hmm? Look at the next verse. Psalm 130. Sorry, verse some 119, verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Here's another problem in the soul. What is grief? Grief is an emotion. What are the three areas of your soul? Quickly, remind me, you should know this by now. Three areas. Where can we write this? Okay, yeah. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind is basically your understanding and your thinking. Your will is your decisions and your choices. Your emotions is basically your feelings. Say it again. Mind, will, emotions. Mind, your thinking, your understanding. It's both your thoughts and how you you understand things, how you process things, how you think things through, your understanding. Your will is your decisions, how you decide, and the choices you make. Your emotions is how you feel. Now, check this verse out. So my 119 verse 28 is telling us something powerful. It says, my soul weeps. Why? Because of grief. What area will grief fall into here? An emotion, okay? Bad emotion, grief. That's what the person said. But it says, strengthen me according to your, to your word. It's the word of God that is able to overcome negative emotions in the soul. Right? Because let me say, you're going to have some bad days. And you're going to have to learn the art of letting your spirit command your soul in the area of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your emotions. Okay? Very important. Okay, each of these is like a whole sermon in a summer. I can get through all of it. Um, 1 Peter, sorry, Psalm 130 verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. In His word do I... Hope. There's no hope. You're living in hopelessness if you're not living in the Word. Huh? Hopelessness. Since you have been, First uh, 1 Peter one twenty two. since then you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Every time you obey the, the Word, your soul is purified. Then, James one twenty one. we had this verse way early in the series. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, In humility, receive the implanted word which is able to do what? Save the soul. The word is able to save the soul. And then my recent favorite, Isaiah 55 verse 3, Incline your ear, come in here, and your soul will live life in your soul if you incline the ear. So summarizing all those verses, we may conclude the following. The word of God is able to, Separate the soul from the spirit. Restore the soul. Convert the soul. Renew the soul. Revive the soul. Strengthen the soul. Fill the soul with hope. Purify the soul. Save the soul. And fill the soul with divine life. That is what the Word is able to do to this domain called your soul. But the place of reception of the Word is your spirit. Your spirit becomes pressed with the word, it must impress that word upon the upon the soul. And all these benefits will then come to your will then come to your soul. Amen. Hallelujah. So just turn to your neighbor, repeat after me. Find a neighbor quickly. So say, neighbor. Come on, just tell them, neighbor, as a life giving spirit, spirit, I speak to your soul. And I declare to you, you, soul live, live, and man shall not live, carry on, by bread alone, alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God. So therefore I command your soul, soul soul live by the word. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor, I love my soul. I've decided, soul, I love you. I don't hate my soul. You know why? You know what the Bible says? You must love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Matthew, I think, Mark 12. You must love God. This domain must love God. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And the Bible says, um, you must love one another as you love yourself. And later on, as I have loved you. I can't even love you if I hate any part of me. Okay? So, tell your neighbor, you must love your soul. Listen, your soul is not bad. Your soul was made by God to empower you to live effectively on this planet. It's a God-made component in you that all we want to do in this season is simply restore it back to its original, proper position and function. That's all we want to do. Right? And David actually said this in Psalm 23. He said, He restores my soul. I love that statement in Psalm 23. He restores my soul. Amen. So tell you, never be restored in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. What's the time? No idea. Quarter to eight. Jesus. I need you now more than ever. (laughs) To get through this. I really believe, I'm glad to say most of what I've said. I really believe it's the Holy Spirit. I'm just cajoling us, urging us on. Amen. What we want to start now is talk, talk about the prosperity of this domain, the prosperity of the soul. Okay? The prosperity of the soul. And we're going to use 2nd or 3rd John, chapter, verse 2. 3rd John, from verse 2. This is John the beloved. Remember, John is writing as a senior apostle, an aged apostle. He writes as an old man. That's why in his letters he constantly refers to my children, my children, my children. He writes as a father. This is a father talking, right? Not just an apostle. The heart of a father, the last of the surviving apostles. Everybody's dead that walked with the Lord. He's alone on the planet. His last, one of his last epistles, before he wrote the the book of Revelation. This is an epistle. A letter addressed to somebody. Personal. And he says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I, always am, for I was always very glad when the brethren came and testified to your truth. That is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that my children walk in truth. I mean, just before you turn over, that verse 4 is the cry of every spiritual father. You want to give me joy, I will write to you one day, like John wrote to his children. Let me use, uh, who can I use? Claire, 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 I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that you are walking in truth. That's that, That's every father's desire that all of his children walk in truth in a manner that pleases god right there's no greater joy you can give me than to let me hear that you're walking in truth amen so tell your neighbor walk in truth no greater joy john says a father has than to hear that his children are walking in truth right so in in verse 2 beloved i pray that in all respects should underline the all respects all respects literally means that. All respects. What does all respects mean? Every respect. Every dimension. There's no, there's no expression that is not accounted for. In every single way, some versions of the Bible say. John says, I, my prayer for you, my children. I'm so blessed when I hear you walking in truth. Please notice the precursors here. Notice what is taken for granted, that you're walking in truth. That you're walking pleasing to the Lord. I have no greater joy. He writes to them and says, in the light of this, my earnest prayer for you is that you, in every department of your life, that you prosper, all respects, and that you be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Now, everyone say, beloved. So, let me ask you this. Who is he writing to? If he uses the term beloved and children and walk in truth, who is he writing to? Sons of God. This is addressed as a, as a desire for every son of God to come into. Amen? So tell your neighbor, this, this prayer is for you. This prayer is for me. I'm going to appropriate this for my own life. Right? I can hear the Lord writing me a personal letter and say, Randolph, my earnest desire for you, my son is that in every respect you're going to prosper right even as or because your soul is prospering you're going to prosper so what is the implication prospering in every respect is contingent upon your soul prospering first you only prosper in all other respects as your soul prospers Beloved, my prayer for you is that you might prosper. In all respects, you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Soul prosperity is the prerequisite for every other kind of prosperity. I'll say it again. Soul prosperity is the prerequisite for every other kind of prosperity. Now, this is for all of us. You think about it. He says, every kind of prosperity, and we look at several kinds just now. What are the kinds of prosperity? But every expression of prosperity, and he says, divine health. You'll be in good health. That's my prayer for you. And do you know those two doctrines, prosperity and divine health, have either been the most opposed doctrines or the most misrepresented doctrines in the church today. Hmm? It's just the term. You know, I was, even, I was even contemplating, should I label this prosperity of the soul? You know why I was reluctant too? It's because of all the negative connotations of this word prosperity that come to my mind based on how it's been badly misrepresented in the in the church. And I said, No, it's in the Bible. Why must I be afraid to use a word that's in the Bible? John says, I wish that your soul prospers. so I'll call the study soul prosperity or the prosperity of my soul. Tell your neighbor your soul must prosper. Your soul must prosper. We are talking about the prosperity of the soul upon which every other expression of prosperity rests. Okay? Every other prosperity will rest upon this. So, for example, financial prosperity has been severely opposed or badly misrepresented by those, even those who do embrace it, in some sectors of the church. Not everybody, in some, some sectors. Then they, Many people are opposed to divine healing or divine health, because in some Sectors of the church, it's been badly portrayed in terms of the way in which it's administrated as a ministry. Okay? But I want to assert life. Everyone say life. Life of this congregation. That in these two domains, please, I'm changing all of your middle names right now in the spirit. Your middle name is prosperous. Right? Call yourself. Go to Home Affairs if you have to. Right? I've changed my passwords on most of my, or, or, or my social media, bank accounts. I've changed it to, I won't tell you what it is in case you want to hack. Someone's listening to this, to this recording. But it's, it's a reference, some reference to something associated with the word prosperity. I won't tell you what it is. Okay. So my name is Randolph Bertie Prosperous Barnwell. All right. You know why? You've got to assert this mentally. Assert this in the spirit. The thing that you reject moves away from you. The thing that you embrace comes closer towards you. For example, if you, remember your soul, incorporates your mind, your will, and your emotions in your mind, which is your thinking and your understanding, if in your understanding you think that financial prosperity is unbiblical, already in your soul you are saying, not for me, unbiblical. So you're pushing it away from you. It will never come to you because in your understanding already, you're rejecting it. So you can't prosper because in the understanding of the mind of your soul, you're pushing it away from you. Hmm? That's why John was so wise when he said, Beloved, I wish and pray that you prosper in every respect and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Amen? Amen. Just as your soul prospers, so what are the indications of prosperity? I wrote you just there are many, but um, we're going to use Luke 252 just to draw them out. It says, "And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and and men. Not so. So he grew in stature, which is he grew physically, right? So stature includes physical and material prosperity. For us, we'll call it health and wealth, right? He grew physically. So he grew in stature. He was healthy. And I believe all his material needs associated with his growth in body, in stature, were met. So he grew in stature, health, and wealth. He grew in favor with God. He grew spiritually. So there's something which I call spiritual prosperity, right? A well-formed, undefiled, mature spirit. Right? Favor with men. Favor with men. That is relational or social prosperity. If you ever get a, met a guy who is very rich, but got no friends, is he rich? He might be rich financially, but poor socially. He's one of the most poorest men in the earth. Hmm? I am saying to us, everyone say total prosperity. We don't want to just develop in one and and focus on finance. We are we are focusing on all the prongs or the expressions because John said every respect. So every dimension of this I want to attain. But I'm gonna launch forth and grab it from the platform of a prosperous soul. Don't reach out for these things, beloved. If in this domain the word of God is not pulsating and bringing life to your soul you're not walking up like you know the prerequisites are so powerful in john he says i have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth what is walking in truth obedience how is the soul purified through obedience right as the soul is purified it is it prospers no prosperity of the soul without the purification of the soul. As the soul is purified, it prospers. Right? I'll define what prosperity is in a moment from the Greek word. Right? In fact, let's do that before we go on. Oh, just, just to finish this, so favor with men refers to relational prosperity. And let me just say this to you. I believe, and we'll show you later on, that even financial prosperity is conditional upon your social prosperity. Your relationships is going to be the vehicle and the means that God's going to break through for this house financially. Yes, we'll observe all the principles of of obedience in reference to financial giving, etc., etc., etc. But when Cain kills Abel, what happens? The ground does not. The ground does not respond to him. Does not heal forth its crop. So you violate relational standards in the kingdom your financial prosperity suffers Hmm? that's why we got to we got to explore this thing i want to give you a lopsided view of prosperity we're going to go for total prosperity in jesus name amen holistic prosperity tell your neighbor you're going to be the most prosperous person i know I really feel the spirit of the Lord here. I really believe I'm not just making statements. You're gonna be the most prosperous person I know. When I meet you, it's not just gonna you're gonna have money. You're gonna have money, yes, but every other respect, your mature spirit, full, mature, a, a wholesome soul, uh, a spirit in contact with the heavens and God, hearing God, being obedient, all your relationships intact. All your relationships prospering for God. You'll be a man of wisdom. Jesus drew in wisdom. That's mental prosperity. Or as Dr. Tryon calls it, intellectual prosperity. Right? Having the mind of Christ. Right? Having a mind that thinks like Christ. Just to summarize this for you quickly. If your soul includes your mind, your will, and your emotions, to summarize it, your thoughts, your decisions your feelings, and if we say this must prosper, then the soul that prospers is a a soul that thinks like God, decides like God, and feels like God. Hmm? Like a succinct way of, of stating it. A prosperous soul is one that thinks like God, decides or makes choices like God, and one that feels like God. That is a prosperous soul. There are many other indications of it uh, which we'll highlight shortly. Okay? We've got half an hour. On the next page, I spell it out in a bit more detail what each one is. So, I'm not going to go through all of it because of time. You can read it. Just to quickly summarize, physical prosperity refers to the prosperity of your health. All right? Now it's 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 no good being having a lot of money and you're always sick. <laughs> right? It's no. What's the point in using all your finances on medical bills? Right? They say the greatest wealth is health. Right? I'm telling you, your health is your greatest asset right now. So look after your bodies. Hmm. Hmm. Yes or no? Look after your bodies. Get enough sleep. I must obey that one. Daily. Get sufficient exercise. I think I'm okay there. Watch your diet. Don't just eat everything that is put in front of you to be polite. You take charge of what you administer to this frame. Because you're going to live in this house for a long time. So don't abuse it now and suffer with illnesses later on because of your indiscipline now. So, you still want this total prosperity? You still want this? Getting hard now, eh? Getting hard. Yeah, we want this. But John said, I, my prayer for you is that you be in good health. Amen? So confess this to your neighbor. You're going to be the most healthiest person I know. No more aches, no more pains, no more ohs and ahs. Take charge of your body. Take charge and be prosperous. Pointless, you having a lot of money. And I say, Come, let's go. Come, accompany me to Bolivia. Go into a conference. I say, No, Pastor, I can't come. Got hypertension, diabetes, high blood pressure. Can't walk upstairs. Um, my fitness levels are low. Can't fly at great altitudes. I say, okay, no problem. You see, you're in a body. These two components are in a body. If, as You can be powerful in your spirit and your soul, but if you've got the weak body... Uh, <laughs> hey? I'm not saying whatever level of, of health you are right now, arrest it and develop it to the next level. Don't just let things be and degenerate okay so live healthily do you know a step beyond healing there's one level beyond healing and that is divine health if everyone in this congregation lives in divine health do you know we don't need a healing ministry because everyone walks in healthy you only need a healing ministry when there's people whose bodies are out of sync with the plan of god don't please don't misunderstand me we will always pray for the sick right if you're sick we pray for you even james even says that if there are some that are sick call for the elders sickness we will always live with but i'm saying there must be a generation that lives above these things dr segi alluded to the zoe life of god jesus lived above viral and bacterial life he had the flu not one day right not once did he say guys we can't go to or Betsida to do ministry because i'm not feeling well today He just lived in what John's prayer was. being good health. Amen? So affirm this. Sandra, you are healthy in the name of the Lord. Amen? You are healthy. I decree health, the blessing of health upon all of you. Even some of you sitting with with sicknesses and illnesses right now, declare you healed by the power of this word in the name of the Lord. Amen? You are healed in Jesus' name. Don't wait for some prayer. Receive the grace in this word. God is releasing something for us to walk in a new sense of power and dominion. Amen? Hallelujah. I declare my shoulder healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. They are life to those. Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from out of your sight or your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those that find them and they are health to all of their flesh amen so divine health in jesus name material prosperity relates to wealth financial wealth and i really believe the purpose of financial wealth is to empower kingdom initiatives globally right who would like to get wealthy you see your hands but do you know, unless you um, what's the word unless you, uh, unless you determine the rightness of your motive for that, it'll never come. Uh, the Lord uh, Deuteronomy 8 says, "It's the Lord your God that giveth thee the power to get wealth, why that he might establish his covenant. His covenant is to produce men in the earth of his likeness and image the likeness of his son so you acquire financial prosperity because your desire is to finance kingdom initiatives to finance the work of god that is the ultimate purpose for wealth today any other purpose beyond that is meaningless because your money will perish with you at the end of the day unless you use it for for God's purposes. Amen. Please, you must listen to I've been listening to it again yesterday and today. FAMO's Kingdom Economic Conference that he taught two three weeks ago in Stanton. Eight sessions. Powerful, powerful, provocative, and challenging, but very, very, very apt for the season in which we are living. I want to tell you, live in the culture of dispossession. Dispossess yourself. You see a kingdom initiative, finance it even at your personal inconvenience. God will, God will reward you richly. As we discuss these things, what I want to ask you is move toward it. Don't, don't just hear the truth, but put things in place and move to toward it. For example, some of you not exercising should say to yourself, I'm starting a walk tomorrow, at least. I walk three times a day. Or I'm going to watch my intake of of, of foodstuffs that are excessively fattening, right? So you say that to yourself. What I'm asking you is take deliberate steps towards these, these things, right? So if I say to you, God's desire for you is to prosper financially and material prosperity, financial prosperity is part of prosperity in all respects, right? The, the one critical key that Tamo has been teaching recently is to live in a culture or in a state of dispossession. Financing God's initiatives and see how God will take care of every single one of your own personal needs. God is no man's debtor. Amen? God will take care of you. Spiritual prosperity relates to the state of mature sonship and the strong, accurate representation of the Father to men. Okay? Okay? a mature spirit. And for me, I put it in bold towards the middle of that paragraph. Uh, for me, you are spiritually mature when the nature of God in His love oozes and pulsates through you. I want to see a congregation that excels in the love of God. Right? So then, let me ask you this. Are all of you here prosperous in your love dynamic? Right? Now, how do you check that out? Take First Corinthians 13 do this tonight and ask yourself against each criteria of love have I passed the test right love is not boastful tick or cross love does not rejoice in another man's failing or sin love is patient love is kind love is never boastful love is never rude it says are you rude if you're rude something wrong with your love. <laughs> hey? The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. If when someone sins, are you the first on the phone? Did you hear? On the email, did you hear? If that is the case, you are defunct in your love prosperity. Your spiritual prosperity is compromised. Why? You know, Renee taught this a while ago. Love covers a multitude. Remember that lesson. Love covers a multitude of sins. The Greek word covers there means the, the person does not willingly broadcast it to another. Hey? Ask your neighbor, when last have you covered someone's sins? Hey? We are so quick to talk. But we cover. In this church, we cover. Listen carefully. We don't cover up for sin. We cover sin. A big difference. Covering up means condoning, put it under the carpet, you know, don't address it. Ah, uh, squash, squash, squash. Nobody knows. That's covering up. No, cover means my brother has sinned. I go to him in a spirit of love and redemption. I restore him. And I keep the matter quiet. There's no need for anybody else to know. Amen. So put a guard to your mouth. Amen so love covers amen i don't know why we're going this study is coming at all different tonight i thought we'd really be by the end renee said oh i'm so glad it's 12 pages how many pages 10 pages nine really nine pages study as opposed to the 22 pages of the last (laughs) session maybe we'll get through this one in one night (laughs) okay it doesn't seem that way amen but are you getting the picture so, so now ask your neighbor, tell them, take a step to spiritual prosperity. Take a step into it. Take a step into it. Be, be perfect, be mature. Love everybody. Let the nature of God be seen in you. OK? Love. Relational prosperity is uh, linked to this. That is, you're having covenantal relationships in your life, right? Covenantal relationships, governed by love, mutual honor that reflects the wholeness and corporality of the body of Christ. Right? Because in, in our oneness as a body, listen carefully, grace flows when we are one. Right? And we are one, we are singular individuals. Corinthians says we are members in particular, part of the body. We are members in persons, privately and personally. But we are part of a greater whole. So, in essence, we lose our individuality when we're part of the whole. You still maintain your personality, etc., but when you're part of the whole, you embrace the oneness of the whole. Right? Because only in the body of Christ is how does that, that that theory of Einstein? The whole is never greater than the sum of its parts. Right? The whole is never greater than the sum of its parts. So, just to illustrate it. That's a, a theory in, in physics. So if you have a whole, and if you have parts that make up that whole, if you add the sum of the parts, can never ever be greater than the whole. Because each part contributes to the whole that you're adding up to get the whole. Right? That is true in physics, but not true in the kingdom. In the body of Christ. Right? The sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Right? When we come together, um, our individual contributions are almost amplified exponentially in our common brotherhood. Far above what could be contemplated rationally or from a humanistic way of thinking. So, two can put a thousand, or one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put a legion, right? Right? Or, or 10,000. One can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000. Rationally, two should put 2,000. Right? But the, the power of joining exponentially amplifies the potential results. When you find yourself as part of a cluster. So, two are better than one. Proverbs or the, yeah, Solomon would say this in Ecclesiastes two are better than one. Okay, And so when you prosper relationally, I would say your relational prosperity, yes, is when you love everyone and you come into covenantal relationship with your brothers in the body of Christ. And then what you do experience is you experience personal benefits coming to you that would not have been possible if you had attempted to explore that activity on your own outside of the body. But because you're part of the group, your individual efforts become amplified and a greater reward comes to you. Amen? Now you've got to get that revelation. Right? Got to get that revelation. Abraham's 318 men can depose, withstand, successfully defeat a coalition of four major Persian empires. The power of family, the power of joining, the power of oneness. You still want to be prosperous? I'm asking you, you still want to be prosperous? You see, this this definition of prosperity escapes most people. I keep saying your next breakthrough is one relationship away. Your next breakthrough could be your brother sitting next to you. Right? Your next breakthrough, it could be a person away from you. So don't neglect relational prosperity. You could be, by offending or or, or rather um, pushing your brother away, listen carefully, even in this house here I'm talking to you prophetically, by you pushing your brother away, you could be pushing your breakthrough away. By you being accommodative of tension in a relationship, you could be deferring your next breakthrough. I speak prophetically as a prophet tonight. I'm saying for many of us seated here, our breakthrough is conditional upon our relational prosperity. Much will come forth from out of this. Amen? So I want to encourage you, live and prosper relationally with everyone, especially in this house. Now, it doesn't only relate to the church. At the bottom they are put, for all relationships. second paragraph relational prosperity includes submitting to and representing the will of god for all relationships i give you a few examples for example your relationship with me as your spiritual father how is that do you honor me do you honor me by your obedience do you honor me with your finances Hmm? come on let's get real right so listen carefully how's your relationship with your spiritual father And then also from my side, I must ask as a spiritual father, how's my relationship with you? What areas can I work on? That's my challenge, right? To enhance and to to function better in terms of my fathering objectives over you. Then, for example, brothers and sisters in the household of faith to which you belong. How's that? Relationships with other households of faith, right? Right? How are you with Dr. Siggy's sons? With France, um, the late France, senior sons? How is your relationships in the broader body of Christ? right? How is your relationships in the wider body? How is your relationship with your husband and your wife? Between your husband or your wife? Okay, not your husband and your wife, like you get married. A <laughs> <laughs> male and a female, sorry for that. Right? Remember I told you about Malachi? Challenging Malachi says, your offerings are not accepted because you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. So your offerings lose their power. That verse I'm going to talk and teach much more thoroughly later on. But you see, your joint is, like I said, of the grace of life. So if I don't honor Renee, guess what? I'm stopping a grace flow to both of us. Hmm? It's all about grace. The more grace we got, the more successful we are. Amen? So, I don't know why, but please honor the marriage relationship completely. Make a decision tonight. I will honor the principle because I know that my prosperity, my well-being is locked up and linked to this. Okay? Now, quickly, let's go. Your enemies, how's your relationship with your enemies? Those guys that don't like you, talk bad about you. Do you respond with insult for insult, backlashing for backlashing? uh discreditation for discreditation when they speak evil of you do you speak evil of them what must you do to your enemies in fact let me ask you this you should know your bibles what is the biblical response of a son of god to an enemy love simply jesus said love them love your enemies despite and pray for those that despitefully use you who's been used and abused you feel like this guy is exploiting me now. could be your boss. <laughs> Maybe your boss is your enemy. <laughs> okay. Your position is, I bless you in the name of the Lord. Your position as the Son of God is, I, I sense this exploitation, but my position is, I pray when I, go, when I go home at night, Lord, I bring my boss to you. I pray your blessing upon him. That is, being, that is prospering relationally. Jesus grew in favor with men. And the Bible has much to say about how we ought to regulate our relationships one to a, one to another. Bless them. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes you need to even do this physically. Let them know your position towards them. You can be hateful toward me. You're saying all these things against me, against me but I bless you in the name of the Lord. But don't even do that with a, with a bad attitude. Because some people do that with a bad attitude. Okay, you, you're telling me this, I bless you in Jesus' name. No, no, it doesn't work that way. You're blessing with the wrong, you're blessing with a with an angry disposition. Okay? No, really, really, sincerely mean it. My prayer for you, my sincere desire. I'm not just, say to yourself, I'm not just doing this to be obedient to the scripture, but my sincere heartfelt desire for you is that you will be blessed prosper everything will well with you Hmm? well the bible says you heap coals upon the head Hmm? they it's like you you throw the devil a curveball He didn't see this coming he thought he's he's bringing this your way designed to trip you up but little did he know that you have the principle of life grace in your spirit He's attempted to bruise you in your soul. But you respond as the Son. Right? And the Son gives life. I just love the scripture in John 5. The Son gives life to whomever He wants. I'm telling you, there's much that God's going to put into our custody and our stewardship. Even the forgiveness of sins. I'll talk about that later. Because some things you cannot bear now. <laughs> How be it, when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes? He will lead you and guide you into all parts of truth and righteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. Everyone, everyone say hallelujah. 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 Mental prosperity. Are we there? Yeah, quickly. Mental prosperity. So your mind, your, 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 the, the understanding, the mind of the, of the soul, you prosper mentally when you have the mind of Christ. Right? You think as He does in all respects. Right? This demands that your soul must follow the dictates of the mind of your of your of your spirit. Okay. Now remember the verse, as a man thinks, so easy. We'll talk more about that maybe next week or two weeks from now. Lovely verse of scripture. Everyone repeat, as a man thinks. So easy. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Say, neighbor before you tell it. Just say As you think, so are you. Say this to them. You are as you think. Nothing more, nothing less. As you think, so are you. Tell them you are as you think. You're not more, you're not less, but according to how you think, so are you. It's a simple truth. You'll never ever amount to anything more or less than the content of your thoughts. And the thinking, the mind, the thoughts, is a domain of the soul. This, for me, is the most important area. Gideon says, "I'm weak." God says, "You're mighty man of valor." Gideon's thought life is, "I'm less." He can never, ever do God's will with defunct, deficient thinking. Right? Uh, um, Eddie O'Neill calls it stinking thinking. Remember, he says, between. The dark Africa. Some people got dark Africa between their, their two ears. Their mind is dark Africa. Remember he said it once, right? There's a lot of darkness in our minds between these two ears. This is the venue for spiritual warfare. If you can think right, you'll be able to live right. If according to that scripture, I am according to how I think, everything about me is a reflection of my mind. I'm going to say that again. Everything about you, is a reflection of your mind. Everything, not some things, everything going on in your life right now is a reflection of your thought patterns. As a man thinks, so easy. Nothing more, nothing less. That's why it's so important, um, the, the affirmations, the I am statements. Take the spirit checklist that I emailed you. You know, do it for a whole month if you have to. Morning and evening, just to get it into your... Because you can't think something that's not in you. So start thinking right. The more you think right, the more you'll live right. As the man thinks, so is he. That is why scripture memorization is so important. And this is not just memorizing scripture. But, you know, God can only use what you put in there. You put little in there, that's all you've got to work with. That's your, your thinking capacity is going to be according to what you've invested in there. Hmm? So I'm saying, pour pour, read over the Scriptures, meditate, study, fill the mind with the Word. And when we do the study and meditation, you'll see how important this is. As a man thinks so, so easy. Okay? So, quickly, I, I, we haven't defined prosperity yet. But before we do that, just I'm going to take 10 minutes and we'll close. Let me run through this verse, this list on page 5. Soul prosperity may include the following. If you do not remember any of this, this list that I'm about to enunciate to you. Just remember the soul includes my, my mind, my will, and my emotions. If I must profit in my soul, that means I must think like God, Decide like God and feel like God to have a prosperous soul. But it's much more than that, and I've just cataloged a few things. And these things, this list of eleven, is going to form the substance of the next few sessions, right? I'm giving you a broad overview now. A prosperous soul is a soul that is led by the Spirit via the Word of God in one Spirit. A prosperous soul is a mind, the mind of the soul that thinks like God. Having the mind of Christ. The will of the soul that decides like God. It follows the resolutions in the Spirit which is led by the Holy Spirit. The emotions of the soul that feel like God. Emotions that are whole, healed, complete, no bruises and no scars. Hmm? Lift up your hands quickly, prophesy, I declare you healed from every emotional scar that you are carrying, from your childhood, from a, from a previous marriage, a previous relationship, uh, a, a previous bad experience with an auto- authoritarian figure in your life, uh, some sense of disappointment, some hurt, some grief you might have suffered, where the, where the sense of sorrow has lingered and the enemy has scarred you emotionally. And in your emotions you say, I'm not complete, I'm not healed. Uh, by my, the utterance of my words this evening, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I declare that you are whole. I declare that you are healed. I declare that your emotions are whole. That you are well-rounded, perfect, complete, and whole in the area of your emotions. Amen. Number, where are we? six a soul that is not tormented by carnality or the works of the flesh. You're not dabbling in works of the flesh that cause you sleepless nights. And like Lot, his soul is vexed by what he saw and heard. You, you're calm about that issue. Number seven, a soul that is advanced in its renewal or renovation process by the word of the Lord. You can put Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 there if you want. And right? I'll rush into this. We'll, we'll, in the subsequent sessions, we'll unpack it. Number eight, a soul that has a sound mind. Right? You can put uh, Timothy 1 verse 8 there. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Right? So sound mind. A sound mind would include devoid of fear. How's that? No fear. I don't fear in my soul. No fear. Hmm? Not even of the night. I've no fear. Well-balanced, disciplined, saturated in the word of the Lord because of constant meditation. Focused and clear. A soul that has found rest in the grace of God, not given reliance upon works of human effort to attain a spiritual result. A soul infused with the Zoe life of God. The God quality of life. A soul that embraces the truth and reality of prosperity in all of its varied expressions now go back to page two let's define what prosperity means in third john verse two on page three at the top sorry the greek word for prosper Um, next week we look at the hebrew words but because we we've just discussed third john let's just get this out of the way so you have an understanding when John used this word, I wish, brethren or beloved, that you prosper in all respects and be in good health, even as your soul does prosper, he uses this word, you-o-do. you odu." do you odu" means the following. To help on the road or to succeed in reaching. To help on the road or to succeed in reaching. It also means figuratively to succeed in business, figuratively to succeed in business and to have a prosperous journey. Now, the Greek scholars will say this. I've got it written there at the next line. The idea of prosperity relates to reaching a determined outcome, a goal or destination. So, what is the um, logical meaning of the greek word prosper in third john verse two when john says i wish that you prosper he was talking greek so he probably would have said something like oh guys i wish that as you embark upon any process that you reach its logical outcome that you reach the destination that you are pursuing right that you reach your intended goal he speaks about going on a journey so it speaks about a process and a point of arrival. Point of departure and a point of, of arrival. A prosperous journey. Right? So, in the area of the soul, what is the destination? You said your soul must prosper. Your soul must embark upon this road and reach its logical outcome. Right? I've just said it here for, for ease. For me, this destination in reference to the soul is when the soul has come to total renewal. Reflected in absolute and questioning obedience and conformity to the will or the word of God as it is revealed to the Spirit. Right. So, what your your soul must prosper when it reaches, it prospers on its journey and reaches its destination. The destination of your soul is total renewal, because Romans 5, Romans twelve says. Uh, That you must be, what does it say? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So total renewal of the mind, of the soul, um, is when the process of renewal takes its fullest um, course. And that would be evidenced in your life by total obedience to the dictates of the word of the Lord in your spirit. That is when you know you have a prosperous soul. In other words, bluntly said, your soul is prosperous when you can manifest obedience in your life. When you can manifest obedience. So God presents something to you. In your mind, you don't reject it. God presents something to you. In your choices and decisions, you don't act contrary to that. God presents something to you from your word. Your, your even your emotions mirror exactly how God is feeling on the issue, and you don't adopt an emotion that is alien to God's expectation of you in that context. Remember the two guys in Luke twenty four; they walked on the road to Emmaus. What does the Bible say they were? Sad. Why were they sad? <laughs> though Jesus died, and was dead, still, yet he was alive. So their lack of knowledge left them. A negative emotional state sad and being sad in a day when he's alive was illegal so they're, and they're, they exhibit an emotion that was not reflective of the posture of God's heart when Moses came down the mount and he saw the debauchery the sex orgy that's happening with Israel after spending 40 days got the law remember when he got the, he came down the mount he came down in a mood his mood was one of anger. The sound of the camp was one of revelry, rejoicing, merrymaking, making party. Right? The, the mood or the emotion of Israel did not mirror the mood of God. Moses mirrored how God felt about the issue. Anger. In that context. What i must not saying is not go and say, I have a right to be angry <laughs> with people. Right? There's a place for righteous indignation. All I'm saying is, in every respect, your mind, your will, and your emotions must prosper in the Lord. Amen? So let's talk to your neighbor once as we close. One more time. Say, neighbor, one more time. (laughs) Tell them, return to your rest say this let your soul return to your rest now listen carefully i'm quoting psalm 116 powerful verses right at the bottom of the last page of your notes right at the end i'm jumping right to the end i'll deal with the other issues on sunday morning but i just love this verse return to your rest O my soul for the lord has dealt bountifully with you right? Okay? The English Revised Version says, My soul, relax. God takes care of you. <laughs> I like that. My soul, relax. God takes care of you. Please, you've heard a lot tonight. There's a lot to process, eh? A lot to think about, right? And I want to, as you leave, I'll talk about the rest of the soul on Sunday. When is your soul at rest? But I want to confer rest upon you. Amen. Think about it like this Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will. Give you rest. So there's a rest that is given. Next verse. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. And you will find rest for your souls. There's a rest for the soul that is found. There's a rest that is given. The person of Christ gives you rest. The principles of Christ cause you to find rest. Right? To give, to get rest, you must just come to him. Come to me, I'll give you. But to find rest, you have to learn of Him. That is where we want to be. Right? So be at rest, soul. You know, I'm talking to myself more these days. Like David. Soul, what's up with you today? I was thinking a song that Don Monroy wrote. Oh my soul, do you not know? Have you not heard? It's been told from the beginning. The Lord your God is on your side, oh my soul, don't be afraid, hoping the Lord, by his righteousness and power, he will conquer, he will guide, and I will soar, on wings like eagles held, by the hand of God I will run, and not grow tired, when on his name I call, for the Lord, He's never weary. His ways are beyond my thoughts. I will trust in Him with all my heart. I just love how that song starts. Oh, my soul. It's a song directed to the soul. Oh, my soul. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Hope in the Lord. Please go to bed with Psalm 116, verse 7. Right? My soul, talk to yourself before you sleep. My soul, return to your rest. Because, you know, if you return, it means you left someplace. So go back. Right? Return to your place of rest. Because the Lord, let me prophesy of you, the Lord's about to deal bountifully with your soul. Amen? The Lord's going to prosper your soul.